to Let's Jaws for a Minute, the podcast which took a deep dive into Steven Spielberg's 1975 masterpiece and is now setting sail into uncharted waters to discover the world beyond Jaws. I'm your co-host, MJ Smith, who remembered to say his name in the intro this time. <laughs> Wait, I was prepared if you if you weren't going to just uh, jump right on in there, but I yep. am so, almost forgot to introduce myself then as well. The irony. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm Sarah Buddery, uh, and a, a chaotic start to LJ Fam as you would expect, um, but hopefully to level out the chaos, we have a, a guest uh, today joining us. Um, so everyone welcome, Russ Bailey. Hi Russ, how are you doing? Hi, I'm all right. Thank you so much for me on to talk about this uh, this film. Yeah, <laughs> we'll talk. Maybe we'll talk about how how you ended up with this film because I mean, you you were just kind of like, "Yeah, I'll come on," or whatever's left. Yeah. I think you gave us some options, and then I was like, "Okay, all of those have been taken." we do have a vacancy for the colour purple. And you very, <laughs> very graciously were like, yeah, of course, I've never seen it, but sure, let's yeah. go for it. Um, so I think we're, are we all first time watchers of this film? It was my first watch. Uh, yeah, first time. Technically, mm. I saw like the back, maybe third of it on TV as a kid okay. once. Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. I think for argument's sake, we'll, we'll say first time proper watch for all of us i've read the book so i had like a little bit of an inkling about it but that's that's my sole experience um but before we get into talking uh, about this week's film which is the color purple uh russ as a new uh first time guest we get to ask you the jaws question so let's let's talk jaws for a bit uh what is for your, your for it we but what is your uh relationship with with jaws in talk about when you first saw it or why you love why you love the sharky boy so much sure um so i think it's the single most terrifying film i've ever seen <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, on my own podcast i ask most of my first time guests the kind of films that influence them and i have in my answer two of the three films i name as spielberg films one of them is mm -hmm. my favorite film ever made which is jurassic park and the other one is jaws which gave me recurring nightmares of sharks for five years after i saw it it has <laughs> Uh, altered my relationship with uh, the sea, large open bodies of water, and nature in general. I still find it utterly terrifying. And I think it's a masterpiece, <laughs> but... Oh boy. <laughs> That's actually genuinely really great to hear, because I think sometimes people are like, not I'm glad you're terrified and it has, you know, <laughs> ruined any chance you've got of a nice beach holiday, but, like, people are like, oh, Jaws is quite tame by today's standards, and I think that is true like if you watch a lot of like extreme <laughs> horror then yes like it is quite tame but the fact that it still scares people and still works i i mean i have an mj you have as well like been in screenings where it's clear that people are watching it for the first time and all of the jump scares work all of the things mm -hmm. that are meant to be scary work so yeah it's actually quite <laughs> it's mm. quite nice to hear you say that it's like the single most terrifying film you've seen like it's it's obviously doing what it is set out to do which is great 
Yeah, no, I mean, I love horror and I have watched some pretty odd stuff through it. But no, this is a film that has <laughs> lingered with me. Like the estuary scene is one of the scariest mm-hmm. scenes I've ever endured. Mm. I, uh, yeah, I, I think it's a masterpiece. I, I did episodes on Spielberg and came to the conclusion he was a pretty darn good director, which feels like a not very hot take. Pretty good. And, um, <laughs> pretty good. Pretty, pretty, pretty good director. Yeah. yeah. And um, like Jaws, I just appreciate that it has these kind of slow builds up to all of its scares. Like it has these like long mm. scenes where people on beaches, where there are fake outs, where there's like all this other stuff around it. And then it gets kind of terrifying at moments. Um, mm. Yeah, it has. I still remember the time we went to Florida with my family and my dad, just before I went in the sea, whispered in and said this is where they filmed Jaws and I ran away and hid. <laughs> it obviously wasn't because it was Florida so it was nowhere near where Jaws yeah, is no. but yeah my yeah. dad being the man he is it's where they filmed uh, Jaws 2 <laughs> yeah yeah Jaws 2 was filmed in Florida so oh. uh, <laughs> was on to something there yeah that's uh, and you've you've got kids I don't know how old your kids are have they have they watched Jaws yet or will there ever be a time when they're uh, allowed to watch Jaws <laughs> Um, they have absolutely not watched Jaws yet. My oldest is six, and I think that's <laughs> okay. when I first watched it, and it had such an impact on me. And I kind of... So she's watched Jurassic Park with me, and I'm always slightly concerned mm. at that, because that has some kind of really intense moments, like yeah, a bit where the hunter's having too. his head uh, mm. chomped on by a velociraptor. I was turned to go, are you okay with this? And she, she says yes. So I think it's because Jurassic Park feels more like a like a theme park ride whereas jaws feels quite sustained and it's it's fear and threat and the tension mm. and like because it's dinosaurs killing people it feels slightly detached whereas because it's a shark mm-hmm. it's, yeah are there actually sharks out there Sport yeah alert. yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I've, I've talked about it before but i saw jurassic park in theaters when it came out and i was five and mm. uh i was such a dinosaur kid though that I, my entire attitude towards seeing these people get eaten is I was just like, yeah, this is what I make my dinosaur toys do <laughs> to my action figures, so I don't know how these people expected this outcome to be any different. Meanwhile, yeah. my dad was terrified next to me. He was just like, this is a scary-ass movie. I don't know if I should have brought my kid to this. And I was just like, hey, pretty cool movie. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> affected That's 0%. Yeah, I don't know if that... I mean, obviously, it's completely down to the parents and i think parents have a very good grasp on what their kids can and can't cope with but Mm. i theoretically if i had kids i would say that mm, somewhere between eight and ten i think is when i would first let them watch jaws but Mm -hmm. would be doing what you're doing (laughs) rather than being like you okay with this (laughs) (laughs) everything all right there just uh, making sure that it's not it's not too intense, but I know, I mean, obviously, majority of people that come on this podcast have watched it at a younger age than that. But normally by accident, it was normally, oh, I saw it on TV and I was far too young to, <laughs> to yeah. see it. Yeah, I'm not um, sure how I was allowed to watch this. I think my one of my granddad showed me it. I think if I remember, <laughs> that's how it was. I don't think my dad ever showed me this because my granddad showed me like Terminator 2 when I was eight and (laughs) had Total Recall when I was like six or seven which is a highly inappropriate film (laughs) um yeah Yeah. I'm fairly certain it was one granddad I had who showed me this and (laughs) it stayed with me I feel like that's what extended family is for yeah you can have to watch we traumatized them this is your problem now (laughs) 
like, yeah, hand them back to the parents. Like, we made them watch this movie. I don't know what yeah. to tell you. It's your problem now. <laughs> oh dear. Anyway, let's. Uh, I mean, we could be here all day talking about Jaws, and we frequently are, but we are uh, not talking about that uh, this week. Although we are talking about another film uh, from its director, continuing our Steven Spielberg series. Um, we are talking about The Color Purple. So this was. Released in 1985, uh, based on the novel of the same name by Alice Walker. Uh, and it is uh, an epic tale, uh, you can see that in the runtime, spanning 40 years in the life of Seeley, uh, an African-American woman living in the South uh, who survives years of abuse at the hands of her father and her husband. Seely is left to find companionship wherever she can as she perseveres and dreams of the day that she can be reunited with her sister. The film stars Whoopi Goldberg in her feature film debut i had to fact check that and she was in something else but i think it was nothing to speak of so yeah this is her first (laughs) first film Mm. let's say uh also starring danny glover margaret avery and oprah winfrey and it was nominated for 11 oscars i've highlighted bold capitalized that in our notes because that's a heck of an (laughs) heck of an achievement for a still a relatively young director i mean we're only 10 years removed from from jaws at this point um but it won not a single nary a single oscar was to be won on that night uh for mr spielberg 11 nominations no wins uh for the color purple um but maybe we can we can we can talk about that as we as we talk about the film so uh no pressure russ but we are coming over to you first as our (laughs) as our guest um what did you think of this film um so i i had never seen it obviously and i had come in with i guess knowledge of it because of that oscar night fact mm. like it's one of those ones that pops up in total film and empire articles when talking about the oscars um and so i was kind of intrigued by it because i was curious as to why it was a nominated so much and b hadn't won anything um and i think mm-hmm. that it is a beautifully shot film with some wonderful acting but a really strange tone that i couldn't get my head around mm. for much of its runtime because mm. <laughs> it's a film about abuse and uh various other traumatic experiences and it's so close to a comedy that i was like really this is how we approach the text um mm. and i haven't read the book i haven't so that might be textually accurate but it was very much like all that is good I found the tone slightly off-putting for me. As I will, I will quickly jump in and say, as I think the only person who has read the book, that tone is all Spielberg. <laughs> that tone is not in the book. Um, from oh, what no. I can remember oh. of the book, it was <laughs> it was a couple of it was a couple of book clubs ago, and I, I have quite a bad memory when it comes to things I've read. But um, I can remember it being quite a quite a tough read, and I don't remember the comedy stuff <laughs> being there so i think that's uh that's, i think that's our boy stevens uh doing in this film yeah it's yeah. it's odd um because <laughs> i mean i don't think spielberg can make a bad film unless he's having not seen 1941 so oh he what? can <laughs> <laughs> but yeah boy he can knows he. <laughs> how to hold a camera he knows how to edit a scene together mm. and so there is a choice there to make it feel lighter in spite of the fact it's quite heavy on the the downer material, it feels quite light at times. And I was a bit mm. like, I was a bit jarred by it because I really wanted mm-hmm. to be pulled in by those performances. Because, like, um, 
Whoopi Goldberg, uh, Oprah Winfrey, and a few others are just phenomenal in this film. But mm. the film itself is just a bit like, huh, okay. Yeah. What do uh, lovers think of it? <clears throat> yeah, it's um, <clears throat> it's all right. Um, it's uh, <laughs> it's 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 a good movie. I don't think it's a bad movie. Um, but mm. I think that tone has a lot of yeah. It, it it does a lot to pull away from the story and like, I don't know how much we want to get into it, but it just it smacks of a white guy telling a black story. Um, yeah, well, not just and... like a black uh, a white writer and predominantly white producers and mm-hmm. white creatives like mm-hmm. i had a look at the team because i felt that that it was mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like if i compare it to similar stories told by um either african-american directors or non-white directors they don't mm-hmm. go for this tone so yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, I i kind of i was wondering if it was the tone of the book as well because it, you know i don't think it, i think it's an uphill climb for uh, a, a a white creative team to tell a story like this but i don't think it's impossible i mean if you look at eighth grade which i think is one of the best coming of age movies ever made it was written and directed by a white guy yes it's still about a white main character but it's about a teenage girl mm-hmm. um so i you know and and most people who've seen that movie really liked it so i I thought about eighth grade a lot watching this movie because I was like, I feel like this makes every mistake that eighth grade totally avoided. <laughs> like it mm. almost, it almost felt like eighth grade took this movie as the blueprint of what not to do. And that's <laughs> not to say it's a bad movie or it's a bad script. Whoopi Goldberg's incredible in this movie. Danny Glover is also incredible in this movie. I know it's hard mm-hmm. to give him credit because of like what a monster he is in it. Yeah. But he's, he's so good in this movie. Um, but yeah, it just, and I understand that you also don't want to lean too heavy into making it like trauma porn either, because then you end up with mm. precious and then it feels very heavy handed and just like, I understand that, but yeah, there's like, there's one scene in particular that really stuck out to me where I was like, what is happening? And it's <laughs> when she's helping him get ready to go see Suge for the first time. Like when he's trying to get his suit on and he keeps forgetting stuff and she like helps him get ready and it's just like it's played like a like a like almost like a three stooges bit starring danny glover mm. where he like he's got a hole in his sock and now she needs to mend that and it's just like and you're like ah okay well <laughs> hang on isn't he getting ready to go cheat on this woman like mm. I, I don't know and it's the first scene that happens after she ages into Whoopi goldberg so it's supposed to be like this portrait of this woman who sustained years of abuse at danny glover's hand now and it, the first scene we get of that is him like bumbling around and her kind of helping him. And it's like played, there's like almost pratfalls in it. I don't know. It was really weird. And that's where I was like, I don't know about this. Yeah, I think it's, it's, mm, yeah, I, I think we all have the same problem with this film and, and we'll get into that, but I will say I'm with you guys as well and it's a a handsomely made film. It is beautiful to look mm-hmm. at. Like I mean Spielberg films the hell out of it. This yeah. film it's just it's, it's one of his best looking movies we've watched on this show so far, I think. Yeah, it's so just having been on this journey with with Spielberg's films and and sort of watching particularly this, you know, 10 years removed from from jaws and obviously we started off with with jewel but watching 
his progression and it's just so it's so honed by this point it's so technically precisely perfectly mm-hmm, made mm-hmm. and the acting is next level like i really had to fact check that about four or five times to make sure that this was whoopi goldberg's first film because i Man, didn't believe is. it yeah. she is incredible and i think they do a really good job of the considering when it was made they do a really good job of the aging up of characters mm-hmm. as well mm-hmm. um something that uh, uh another film that came out in 1985 back to the future <laughs> didn't do as convincingly obviously very different film tonally i think you can get away with slightly uh less convincing aging up in in that given the type of film that it is but yeah i i i really believed in the transformation of these characters and giving how much time it spans and they only do one actor change for Celie and Nettie, mm-hmm. I think that's right. Mm-hmm. Um is pretty is pretty impressive really. My my problem with it is I feel like it's gonna come real soon for Spielberg where he is able to make a serious film and not feel like he has to put these Spielberg-isms in them. Mm-hmm. Because that light-hearted tone where I don't think there needs to be a light-hearted tone, I think that comes from the blockbusters the, that we've seen. A lot of comedy in Jaws, a lot of very funny moments in Indiana Jones, uh, and the other, yeah, other films, obviously, you know, 1941 is... I mean, not funny, but it was intended to be a comedy. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there's lighter moments in kind of all of his, all of his films, and it just, yeah, it, it's a little frustrating because I can sort of see like I wish he had just played it straight and done mm-hmm. justice to the 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 source material. Yes, it risks then you know being this sort of very miserable, very bleak torture porn type of thing which obviously is unpleasant to watch but is certainly truer to to the book from what i what i can remember of it but it's just he gets there he does get there with mm-hmm. films like Schindler's list and oh, yeah. uh i mean i haven't seen empire of the sun i think that's next isn't mm-hmm. it but i i can't imagine that that has got the same tone that that this does i don't remember it being as off-putting but it's been like yeah over a decade yeah. since i've seen it um and saving yeah. private ryan too right like saving private of course ryan yeah yeah there's funny moments in it like when there's downtime like the you know, yeah where matt damon's talking about the, the the part in the barn um but like none of the actual like atrocities of war are played for laughs, laughs. yeah absolutely and like this is gonna sound bad now but having that stuff there it did make it easier to watch because it kind sure. of like there were some moments where you could have a bit of a, uh, a release and a bit of a mm-hmm. chuckle. But then I was like, mm, doesn't feel appropriate to be <laughs> having a guy like slapstick falling through the ceiling at this point. Uh, oh, I forgot and, about that. <laughs> and all these other kind of like hijinks and things going on where it's that detracts away, I think, from what is actually at its core a very touching story Mm -hmm. about female friendships and female relationships 
I got that so much more out of the film than I did out of the book because I think the book does bog you down a little too much with this is absolutely awful, everything that happens to this poor woman. And it goes into a lot more detail as well. And there are things that the film leaves out, certainly, because, you know, it's the case with any adaptation, isn't it? But, um, yeah, I, I enjoyed the acting. I enjoyed how it looked. I enjoyed the way that it effectively tells this woman's story i just think that there are some things in it that are quite distracting and that's what mm-hmm. that's what takes it down a couple notches for me yeah and i think you can tell that this is spielberg's first punt as a prestige director like he's mm. obviously made colossal blockbusters by this point and he's made warm family films but they're always kind of within genre even 1941 is a war movie and this is his first sort of prestige film and if you mm. compare it to like Shinner's List like Shinner's List has warmth to it has these moments which are not entirely downbeat in spite of its subject matter mm-hmm. and it's clear like Spielberg learns because he's got two or three other prestige films coming down the track before you hit Shinner's List and it's clear he's going to mm. learn from each of them how to become it I suppose a better director or a better uh, um creative for this material um yeah so i think if this had been because having that comedy and having it almost pull away from the abuse you become numbed to the abuse like early on mm-hmm. when it's revealed that the father has fathered two children with his daughter and it's like a huge moment it feels like it has this weight and impact to it yeah and then you see sort of an hour and a half later and we're getting even more abuse to um the female characters by that point i was quite desensitized to it and it was just sort of going along with the unblendness of it all mm-hmm. yeah i i and i think that's what makes it such a such a weird movie because i think the like the three core relationships at the center of the film really work like Celie mm-hmm. to suge and Celie to sophia are all really good. Those three women are, man, they're good in this movie. All three of them, are so, they're so good. Oprah Winfrey's debut as an actress through her uh, on film. She's amazing in She's this. She's so I, good. I like recognized her as in, I was like, I recognize her face, but she also looks so different mm-hmm. to just what I see of Oprah now. So then yeah. it, when it got to the end and it was like, oh yeah, Oprah Winfrey was in this. And I was like, who, who, who was she? <laughs> I had to go back and check and I was like, I'm pretty sure no, she was No, I, I had to yeah. Google who Oprah was in this. So I was like, yeah. she's in this? Oh, <laughs> okay. she's really good Not just me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's, man, and her arc is really good. And her arc, you know, it's, it's weird because her arc starts really lighthearted like she's like this big brassy bossy woman she's like uh she almost starts as like a may west character mm, um mm-hmm. and then gets like kind of like obviously quite literally like beaten down um into the shell of her former self and that's all actually i think really good to start at that lighthearted moment where she's like this really strong person and then like have the years wear on her um based on like her event the events that happen in her life and the way she plays it is really really good and i think that's almost the blueprint for how you should sort of approach the material like this like obviously we're not saying that like the movie can't have some moments of 
I don't know, levity for or, or warmer moments. But it just like it plays the wrong people for the most part in those roles. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was. I mean, yeah. Adding to to what you're saying, the Sophia, I think, is, and this was the case in in the book as well, was possibly my favorite character, at least of like the the peripheral characters, because mm-hmm. I think she is such a an interesting character in the beginning because and and it it quite rightly feels like a breath of fresh air when she when she appears because all we've seen up to this point is women being treated like shit mm. so for her to come in and she is able to stand up for herself and actually she puts her husband <laughs> in his place mm. and like he didn't seem to mind it either it's only when you know another man comes along and is like you can't let your woman talk to you that way you've got to you know put her in her place and even more upsettingly Celie is you know siding with the men just because mm. of how she's been treated it's not how she wants to be and it's it's not her true feelings that's the the sense that you get but that's the way she's been treated so you know everyone that's just how women are treated to her it's just all she's used to so it's all that she knows and then seeing that transformation it's so shocking when you see Sophia later and like physically she just looks looks different obviously has has aged you know hair is grayer but just in her face as well how different she looks holds herself differently acts differently and I find that so interesting and then when she is kind of awoken out of that state as well I mean Oprah was nominated. I think the three women that we've mentioned, Margaret Avery, Oprah Winfrey, and Whoopi Goldberg, were all nominated for their performances. So that's a double supporting actress uh, nomination for for this film. And deserved, honestly. I'd love to know what performances won that year instead of these, because I just thought they were all absolutely incredible in this. And I, I really like the relationship between Celie and Shug as well and how that is handled it feels very delicately done like even when they share a moment that is um, a bit more romantic and a bit more passionate it doesn't sort of feel inappropriate it's not inappropriately shot it's not you know titillating for the sake of it just throwing something in there to give people something to talk about afterwards because that would feel very inappropriate in this kind of film it does feel very genuine it feels very warm and that's where i think the film is at the strongest is in these characters and in the performances the performances sell them so well and it just makes it makes these characters feel so real and so lived in and it's a shame i think that the film doesn't just allow that to be the the story, the thing that's that to me is is good enough. Mm-hmm. It's like Spielberg can't help him help himself just putting in some stuff that feels a bit more like what he is familiar with. I I too am a little uncomfortable with how white the production team is on this. I would like to see 
the version of the story that is is told from from a different perspective. I is there a remake because this kept coming up in my Google searches earlier. There's a like stage a planned version remake. I know there's there was a stage oh, okay. version of it. Maybe a musical was done of uh, the Color Purple quite recently. I I know it played in London yeah. a couple of years ago. Oh okay yeah yeah because it's it says on Rotten Tomatoes twenty 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 three musical adaptation okay. but I'm uh, guessing that's I don't know if they're if they're making the musical adaptation as a film that'd be interesting but um yeah and uh, what you yeah. said about the who the creatives are I think because this film is so much about uh, the African American community and kind of white characters are so peripheral in this and for the mm-hmm. most part not seen and because this is a story of uh abuse within that community it feels like we're tourists it doesn't feel like we're brought in mm. in this way we need to be because the creatives themselves are like tourists in this world it just it just yeah i um it because it feels so cartoonish at times like when they go to that bar a couple of times they go to it mm-hmm. and there's that mm-hmm. fight that um Celia's in the middle. Yeah. Whoopi Goldberg is great in that scene. Like her smile is it's all happening around her is is wonderful. But it feels close to like a Tom and Jerry cartoon is happening with yeah. actors. And I'm not sure that I should be like, this is like Tom and Jerry. I'm having a fun time. When it's again, it's about poor, deprived people who are kept in that way by the society they're part of. It it feels mm. like it shouldn't be, isn't this funny? Well, and it's mm-hmm. also, like, about how male ego is so destructive even to other males at that point, mm. and none of that comes across. Like, it just, like, when that part happened, because I really enjoyed that scene up until that point, um, even with, like, as cartoony as it is with Harpo, like, uh, hanging out in the rafters, um, <laughs> trying to hide from Sophia, and then falling off. Like, that bit I thought was funny because he like tried to be this tough guy and is such a coward and like that's a joke i think you should make in a movie like this to like put the joke on that person that character but then when the the fight happens it's just like spielberg's weird obsession with uh bar fights that like or or, like nightclub fights like there's one there's a long one in 1941 there's a long one in temple of doom this one isn't as long but it it has the same tone as those other two and it shouldn't Mm, I don't know if you've just accidentally stumbled upon something there, but does it feel like most of the, quote, comedic moments in this film are generally aimed at or targeted at the men? I, mm-hmm. I, yeah. I, I feel like maybe that's kind of the this isn't justifying it because I still think it's out of place, but I think I <laughs> really clutching at straws here, but that's almost feels like you know the justification for having those things like we these men pretty much across the board are pathetic they're not real men they are to be mocked and laughed at Mm -hmm. because they are terrible people and they should not be doing these things to to these women that doesn't come across in the film no i think it was the intent though i i I do think that was the yeah i think you're right that it was the intent but it is not it comes across like once like i said when he's cowering in the rafters and mm. that's the only time i got that out of that out of any any jokes surrounding one of the men yeah it feels so 
it feels so unsubtle for Spielberg and Spielberg mm. is really great at making choices in his films that are obvious when you sit and think about it but are subtle when you're watching it and this was like the other way round like it's it just there's a way of doing that there's a way of saying you can do it in how they are shot how they are lit uh, the what they say how they interact with other with other people that sort of says like the women are the best thing about this society and the men are all terrible. Like there is a way of doing that that doesn't mean the women have all the serious, emotional, horrific, abusive scenes and the men, we get to point and laugh at them because they fall through the ceiling and they get into fights and do silly things. Like there, there's, there's, it just feels like there's a way of putting that point across and this isn't it. <laughs> the frustrating thing is he does it there's one scene it's my favorite scene in the whole movie where he does it and it's still in that juke joint scene when sophia comes in with like her new boyfriend or whatever and mm. they sit at the table with danny glover and harpo and Seely, and danny glover is front and center back to the camera turned profile looking at sophia and her new her new boyfriend and he's literally dividing the the two halves of the table, um, mm-hmm. and he's the largest thing in the in the shot. It's an amazing shot that shows like how much that character, like the influence that character and his monstrous behavior has over the lives of anyone who comes in contact with him. Mm-hmm. And like it's great. It's some of the best visual storytelling in the whole movie. And. It, it just like that's how you get that information across not through just like weird silent comedy stuff right <laughs> like you don't need to you don't need to put these guys in situations that wouldn't feel out of place in the gold rush with charlie chaplin to show that they're buffoon. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah um have you seen the episode of futurama where uh zoidberg's i think uncle or grandfather directs a film and it's being an oscar film but he's a comedy actor so he keeps throwing in slapstick comedy into the scenes it felt at times watching no. that like um yeah it, it feels <laughs> a bit like that that there's these mm-hmm. subtle moments like i think that the trio of women have really interesting stories really interesting arcs there are subtle moments that moment between celia and uh Shug together is beautiful Oh, it's uh, so good. Sophia so has moments movie. that are beautiful and tragic and heartbreaking. And then there are the like bigger, broader moments where it's like, well, no, Spielberg, you're very capable of making this more subtle. And mm. you can pull away from having to have this. And like the two dimensionality of the men cheapens the abuse for me that because they're not particularly complicated, as great as Danny Glover is. I don't think he's I don't think his part is particularly complicated. Maybe there's some stuff no. at the end that I think is complicated. Maybe there's some moments mm. once Celia has left. But for the most part the men have none of the complexity of the trio of women we have in the middle. And so mm. because they're mm-hmm. perpetu- they're perpetuating the violence against these women, it for me cheapens the the story around it because yeah we should focus in on these three women we should focus entirely on them they are wonderful Mm -hmm. and they're cast so well and they're performed so well and two of them are starting at the start of their incredible careers yeah i i feel 
there's a cut of this film that's probably 30 to 40 minutes shorter mm. that cuts most of the men out and that just focuses <laughs> on uh, Whoopi Goldberg, Oprah Winfrey and Margaret Avery. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they're even at the end when they like have this redemption, there's like no reason for it. Like the like the men suddenly turn good, and I'm not against them having this revelation about like the pain they've been inflicting the whole their whole lives, like you know, the, like a like a like a come to Jesus sort of moment where like they they mm. <clears throat> they realize their wrongdoing and they you know, for lack of a better word, repent of it and and turn turn away from that sort of lifestyle. But it's so abbreviated that it's just like, well, that yeah. Kid, came out of nowhere like I, it just it's such a hard sell after how monstrous we've seen these dudes be the whole movie and all of a sudden it's like <laughs> well they're fine now and it's like well why like yeah. you gotta you gotta do the legwork to tell me why they're fine now like you can't just be like oh man i was an asshole oops like <laughs> whoops <laughs> my bad <laughs> yeah i had to i had to reread the 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 plot summary because they what they do with like Danny Glover's character at mm. the at the end he's looking on isn't he as um as she is reunited with uh with her sister and i was like what why are we why is he suddenly you know having a a nice uh swelling uh orchestral score behind him and is smiling and is looking like he's one of the good guys so i had to like go back and base like when he finds that money and then he finds the letter from Celie's sister. He uses that money and arranges for her to to come over so that the sisters can be reunited. And I'm like, okay, that's that's fine. I sort of can deduce that from what the film is is telling us, even though I had to reread it. But it that redemption arc is fine, I think. But that I think there's a better way of doing it because you're right it doesn't feel super earned it doesn't i don't i don't know <laughs> i i think that there's this film does a very good job in telling these women's stories i can't really fault it in that area it's everything that happens around it that i think is where we are agreeing that that there are problems and it it just feels like it happens very abruptly the redemption or was that just me because i was like oh yeah. okay he's good now i guess like yeah. it doesn't really feel he's gone on this big soul searching journey yeah. where he's kind of looked at himself and realized that what he was doing is wrong it's like he found the money he found the letter and he was like oh i'll i'll pay for her sister to come over and i guess that makes me a good guy now <laughs> his dad comes over and berates him for like letting the farm fall into a state of disrepair yeah and yeah. that's the time it takes because his dad's been berating him the whole movie like mm -hmm. you know and it does nothing with as much as i like that guy who plays his dad he's really good he's also he he's really good in that dinner scene where Celie finally stands up for herself yeah um, <laughs> Uh, and once again, like he brings like, I think levity that works in that scene, mm. but, uh, he's been, you know, I think the better version of this movie, if you're going to focus on the men, not equally the way you focus on the women, cause they're not focused on equally, but if you're going to focus on the men, you also like, they need to do more legwork to show that like, this is generational. Like, I think that's the, 
yeah. intent, right? So the intent is that Danny Glover's dad also sucks. And so now Danny Glover is a worse version of that guy, right? <laughs> but it like it's so, so implied that it's almost not there. Like, it doesn't come out until you talk about it after. Like, it doesn't show us that. And then all of a sudden his dad comes in and now he's the good guy, like getting him back on his feet, getting him out of the like drunken stupor he's been in since Celie left. And it's just like, okay, well, but he's been like this the whole movie to him. So why is this the one that takes all of a sudden? Mm-hmm. It almost feels like the reunion of the sisters needs to play out more like it, the reunion in the Shawshank Redemption where the camera pulls back. We see the journey to the to the reunion but we pull away and we just see it from afar we don't need all the other stuff we just need mm-hmm. to see that they reunited it almost feels like when it came to telling me what was happening to the sister i was like oh well this is a whole other film they're just tacking in at the end and just having us narrate mm-hmm. it this is a whole other story that is equally interesting and maybe if you really want to tell it could have played alongside uh celia's story if you really wanted to add more stuff to this film but yeah, it feels like the last 20, 30 minutes have to do so much work with Albert, with all the other characters, with the reunion with the sister, that it feels rushed in a way that the preceding yeah. two hours doesn't feel rushed at all. Like, it, it, this is quite a luxuriously paced film. Like, it, it takes mm-hmm. its time. It it covers so many years but it takes its time in telling it and then when you get to the end which is the emotional impact of all that we've got through it feels like it's like now picking up a pace to get through all the different plot points Mm. yep my (laughs) just based on the notes that i wrote in this film really long and detailed notes in the beginning because Mm. i feel like the film was taking its time to tell the story and i famously do not like long films but i i wasn't having any problems in terms of the pace and i understood that it needed that it was telling quite a thorough and long story and then by the time it gets to like the sort of latter half of the film where it's sort of putting some of those pieces together i think basically from the moment she finds the letter from from Nettie, and then it sort of has to fill in all those gaps of like where she has been this whole time my notes are just unhinged by that point because it's just I I almost couldn't keep up with how much information this film was giving me and I don't I don't think it needed to be that way like you said Russ it's very it's very deliberate in its pacing up to that point and I was absolutely okay with that I I don't think I would have wanted this film to be any longer but I think you can trim some of that extraneous fat if you will that's you know the some of the more light-hearted moments that perhaps don't have a place or don't need to be there or don't need to be as long as they are and we get a i'm not against the music number i quite enjoy it but you know a whole (laughs) handful of music numbers and three music numbers in this movie (laughs) yeah and i don't know if we need to see those in their entirety i mean spielberg really spent the majority of his career being like i want to do a musical and he did it eventually um but yeah and then when it's it just it feels super rushed like it's okay where's Nettie what's she been doing this time yeah. oh she's she's got Celie's kids okay 
Uh, their dad dies. He wasn't really their dad. She's got the house. Uh, I was like, Whoa. <laughs> okay. She's and I think I would have been. She opens a shop. Like, wait, what? Like, yeah. That, okay. Yeah. How? Like, <laughs> how'd she do that? Where'd she get the money? Isn't it super hard for a woman, especially a black woman in the South, yeah. to do that? Like, I, yeah. I don't know. It just like it's all like yeah. It all dominoes in the last twenty minutes, and you're just like, uh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, I'm glad you were. Uh, you guys were confused as well. I mean, I don't know if it was the same for you, Russ, but I only knew what was going on because I'd read the book. It obviously goes into a lot yeah. more detail. There's something about the shop as well. I think it's that because Shug is this sort of quite uh, like uh, confident character, like she is sort of, you know, there's something about like her like wearing trousers, I think, and that's why she sort of goes into this business of like making, you know, making trousers, and it's a big thing for like women to wear trousers because they're seen as like a masculine oh. item of clothing, and oh. like because uh, uh, Sophia whole... has yeah, <laughs> Sophia has a line where she's like, "I never thought I'd be wearing pants, but here I am. Maybe I'll get used to it." And it that yeah. com- that subtext completely <laughs> passed me by. Yeah, and it absolutely would in the way that this film tells it because it's just just very frustrating. I think that you should have either just made this film, I mean, I hate to say it, three hours long and Mm -hmm. actually uh, explained the things that happen in the back half of this film. Or you could have had some of Nettie's story running alongside it as well. I don't love when films sort of cut in between, but I think even just a we see her writing one of the letters and then obviously it never gets to Celie and she's kind of wondering what's happened to her sister. It just feels like it's giving itself too much to do in the back half of the film and then it feels, that's why it feels rushed. Yeah, and I think because we're so used to a story like this not being a film anymore but being a prestige TV show given sort of Mm. six hours Mm. to tell its story and I think that would be too long for this but it's clear that there is as of any adaptation, stuff that's left out and stuff that has to be uh, abbreviated so that we can see it. And it feels that that Spielberg and um, the writers don't find the balance in the adaptation that, as you say, at the start, there's all this detail. There's all this... Uh, I think it's the first 40 minutes were with uh, the young Celia and it feels like it's a deliberate choice to spend a lot of time with her when she's younger so that when we get to her, when she's older, we've had all this time to become close to her. And so when she makes questionable choices, like advising that Sophia should be hit, we're kind of with her through that morally complicated moment. And so because it's such a off weighted film and that the first half is so particular and then, by the end, it's become this rapid spark notes of people's lives. And we don't get the whole trouser stuff. We don't, the shop is vaguely confusing. And also it felt for me like it was from a different time. I don't know if it's because they'd moved from being more uh, rural to a more urban setting that I'd kind of got yeah. a bit like, have we jumped another 10 years? Are we 10 years down the line? What's where yeah, I mean, according are we time-wise to... now? According to IMDb, mm. the movie takes place over four decades. So it starts in 1909 and ends in the 40s sometime. So it would look like that. But like at, after a certain point, I feel like it started abandoning telling us what year it was. <laughs> like it tells mm. us 
1909, and then it tells us 1917, and then I don't remember seeing a subtitle after that. Um, and uh, Sophia, like, after Sophia gets out of jail, she says it's been eight years, so that would put it at, like, t- uh, the 20s. And then I don't remember that next 20 years <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> happening. So I, maybe it did, and I just missed them. Uh, because I was checking the Wikipedia, like you said, to to figure out what was happening. Um, uh, because that last twenty years is so rushed. But yeah, it just it 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 it's tell it wants to tell this big epic expansive story and then totally uh abandons it. It doesn't abandon it, but it just like it just rushes through it so much. Like all of a sudden, it's just like, oh, here's Nettie's African adventure, and it's like, oh, uh, what like. Mm-hmm. what's what's happening there how long has that been going on oh we're gonna find out about all of that right now um mm. it just it's so it's so rushed to, like it just sprints towards the ending it was funny i a weird movie to compare it to but the, like the recent dune adaptation like i read <laughs> dune up until the point where the movie ends the recent movie ends mm. and they left out so much like it was one of those things where i was like it's rare that I say this, but this movie should have been a TV show. And <laughs> I think that you, like you said, Russ, like it doesn't need to be a TV show, but it should have been either 40 minutes shorter or 30 minutes longer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which is weird to think. It's like, how could they do justice to the, to the story, both by making it shorter and also by making it longer. But I guess it's just what you are choosing what you are choosing to tell, what you are choosing to focus on. And you can tell a bit more of, of Nettie's story and what she's doing. And then that makes the focus even more about these important relationships in, in Celie's life. Like I, I really like that early stuff with, with her and her sister when they are young. Um, I think that I would like to talk very quickly about the film's opening. Um, it's so shocking the reveal i think when you like see these two young girls playing and then it's revealed that one of them is is heavily heavily mm, pregnant mm-hmm. and it's such a gosh it's just such a bold opening to a film and spielberg really knows how to open a film i think that's <laughs> what we're and introduce characters as well i mean this obviously is impactful for different reasons to the way Quint's introduction is impactful and the way Indy's introduction is impactful but it's it's just a real gut punch moment that I think is is taking you from like a Spielberg safe place of like childhood innocence and you know these two young girls playing they seem to be having a good time and then it's just like the camera pulls back and we just see and even before we find out how she is pregnant and who is responsible for that which is you know horrific it's it's just a shocking it's a shocking image it's a real kind of shocking like change of pace and it's like okay this is this kind of film this is not the type of spielberg film that that we've seen before and it's obviously it's telling a very different story and it's not it's not particularly subtly done but i really like the the way that celie is is shot in the beginning of this and particularly when she's with with nettie so uh it's Albert, isn't it? Danny Glover's mm-hmm. character. They call him Miss. They call him Mister most of the time. Um, but he makes no secret about the fact that he doesn't want to marry Celie. He wants Nettie, uh, and 
then their father is like, no, take Celie instead. She's older. And when Nettie then arrives at the house, so once Celie is there with, with Albert, she she arrives and it positions the camera behind Albert and he stands and completely blocks out Celie and all we see is, is Nettie. And it does it in an even more obvious way as well when he's watching the two of them uh, playing together or standing together and he moves his newspaper across so he is like blocking Seely <laughs> and only looking at, at Nettie mm-hmm. but they also do some interesting stuff as well in terms of only of seeing Seely obscured by something or in silhouette or her shadow or something like that just this sort of feeling of like she is always the one cast aside I mean she is you know beaten left right and center by by everyone verbally and physically sort of you know you're ugly you're no good you're nothing your sister's better than you and the way that that is reflected in the way this film is shot i think is very very powerful i think it's a really effective opening of the film i was very very engrossed in kind of the first part of this film and it loses me the longer it goes on and i think it is because of what we were saying it it rushes towards the end and it really takes its time in the beginning and i was surprised by how not bothered by that i was because normally i'm quite frustrated when a film sort of feels not what a film like feels like slow pace i think there's a a film that effectively tells its story i think is it's fine if it takes its time doing it but i was yeah it's i just i wish the whole film had been told in that way and they'd got rid of some of the stuff that that doesn't need to be there but yeah as a as an opening goes and as the sort of the first hour or so of this film really very very effective storytelling and some great subtle slash not subtle visual things as well and sort of what we're supposed to feel about these characters and what we know about them yeah i'd agree i I think the opening is really strong i think that the um way it handles its material feels more appropriate than when we get in the second half of the film because it mm. it doesn't label the point of what is happening but it shows it to us and as you say because it is we see children playing and, and Spielberg has had several films particularly something like E.T. which is from the child's perspective mm. um, it is saying this is a Spielberg film but a different Spielberg film and yeah I found it really effective when we were following them as 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 children and less effective when we got to the adults that's in spite of the fact that when we get to the adults we get some great performances because it Mm. feels that in the same way something like room is from the child's perspective um by having this feel from a child's perspective it feels that there's an approach to trauma and abuse that that makes it more palatable without turning into comedy like mm. the lighter moments make sense because we're seeing it from a child's perspective. Mm-hmm. And once we leave the child's perspective, we kind of lose that kind of embrace the film has around us. And we have to go out into the real world and keeping it almost comedic at times is is more of an issue for me. And it feels like it should shake off more of that comedic vibe because Celia has become an adult at this point. And so she has, she understands the reality of the world she's part of. And that's, that's a really interesting journey she goes on in the first half is to understand her place in the world and understand it's not a fun place to be for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
yeah, it just it's 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 hard to put into words like that that I have all these frustrations with it, but it's so all right, like it's not terrible, <laughs> it's not a terrible movie, but mm-hmm. I think that's why I think that's why our criticisms feel so pointed at it because it should mm-hmm. be a lot better than it is too, yeah. And yeah, where yeah. Spielberg goes from here, his his ability mm-hmm. as a serious film director just this pales in comparison to some of those films. And I mean, mm-hmm. when you get to Munich, which is one of those murkily complicated so films mm-hmm. that a studio has put out, or you get Shinner's List, which is about a horrific subject, but still manages to find warmth and humanity in its telling. Yeah, it's... Hmm. and because this and... is about a certain community it kind of compounds it. i can't be certain if that's because we're seeing this from 40 years or so detached from it but mm-hmm. in the 80s this is how you told this kind of story and now you tell it very differently because we've had creatives kind of wrench yeah. the focus away from where the color purple is to something that's more appropriate for the material i don't know a good mm. point mm. yeah it does feel like yeah. an 80s period piece doesn't it <laughs> yeah for sure absolutely <laughs> yeah and spielberg can do it he yeah. can do it and we see him do it later but i i think at this point maybe he doesn't know if he can if he can do it or is just like yeah. <clears throat> lacking something that is just making him go like all in committed serious prestige picture like that's that's what this is clearly and i think what you know what we're getting at is that it seems like he is just not able to leave some of that stuff that we've seen in the the previous films i mean what a what a tone jump from indiana jones to this right (laughs) especially temple of doom in particular yeah it's so weird that this is his next movie after temple of doom (laughs) We've been on quite the journey. I mean, it's a it's a good job we're not doing this as like a back to back, like watching all of these in you know one insane marathon or something, because it's it's quite the it's quite the tone shift. And I think that that I, I hope you don't mind me saying this, MJ, but I think that left us and particularly you a little bit not keen to watch this film because yeah. we, knowing how different it was going to be. So then I think I was quite shocked when I watched it and was like. Oh, there are some Spielbergy things in this, but there shouldn't be yeah. in this kind of film, and that's confusing. Uh, <laughs> but they're there, and they're making it slightly easier to watch. But should a film like this be easy to watch? Like I, they—that's basically the <laughs> emotions that, that I went through watching this. Uh, watching this film, I, yeah, sounding like we're sort of in similar places yeah, with it, just... but. I think it's it, it too is it's it's the length is really what made me not want to want to watch it. It's uh, two and a half hours long, and uh, I think the thing is, and I've I talked about this somewhat recently that I really like watching first films from directors. So hmm. I like you know I really like going and watching Duel. I really like watching Who's That Knocking at My Door. Even though I don't love that movie, it's really interesting to sort of see the proto scorsese and those hallmarks of what he would become um and you know with duel you have the tension which um 
happens a little bit in this. Like both shaving scenes are really tense. Um, oh, they're so we good. Talk about those. <laughs> they're so good. But uh, it's weird because like this is sort of another first film from Spielberg, right? Because up <laughs> until this point, he's just kind of done the blockbustery stuff, and now he's like switching entirely into like full-on historical drama, and now. He is the full-on historical drama guy, right? Like, his mm, his mm-hmm. first blockbuster in years was Ready Player One. Like, that was his first, like, genre movie uh, in, like, I don't know, seven or eight years since Tintin. Um, mm. And, like, he doesn't revisit that very much. Like, he does mostly historical dramas now. And so he's... He, he, it's it's really interesting, like knowing that that's like the the hallmark he is probably going to end his career on to a certain degree, and mm. seeing this sort of first go at it and seeing how kind of rough it is. And I think the thing is too, too, are we also being harder on this movie um, because it's Spielberg? Because I feel like if any one of us. <laughs> tomorrow made the color purple exactly the way it is everyone would be like that's the most incredible movie debut anyone's ever had yeah i feel like it's i don't know there are directors like spielberg like scorsese where it's just when they make some of the films that they do some of the greatest films of all time are made by these directors our favorite film jaws is made by spielberg so it's like watching anything else like even like a slight misstep or something that i don't even think it's us being nitpicky i think that a lot of other people have got the same criticisms of this film particularly people watching it you know now or as like a modern a modern audience but i mean there was obviously something that didn't didn't sit with the with the oscars as well because Mm. on paper this film should have swept like it's that it's that kind of film. It ugh, I don't love the term Oscar bait, but it does feel a bit Oscar baity in places. Sure. The the kind of film that it is like you look at this, you read the description, you look at the people involved in it, and you're like, yeah, this must have won like a bunch of Oscars, right? And then you realize it was nominated for eleven, which was a as a that's a big number. That's almost as many as like a film can get, right? I'm maybe there's been films that have been nominated for more, but like when a film gets 10 11 nominations it's talked about as like the front runner yeah. of that year yeah if you get double digits and... you go into the front runner status basically yeah absolutely yeah yeah and then to not win any so it's like oh okay on paper everything about this film great in reality a couple of things would 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 change but mm, yeah. also no, not one of us could hope to make a film <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> as, good as, not. as good as this. So, like, yes, we are being very nitpicky, but also it's, you know, we're not going to love every single one of these films. And right. I I don't like when someone is, like, just a Spielberg stan or an anyone stan, and they can put no foot wrong. They've never made a bad movie. Everything they've done is amazing. Because I'm like, have you seen 1941? Uh, first question. <laughs> <laughs> Second question... Have you seen uh what's the Indiana Jones one? The Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Crystal Skull. That's the badger. Look, I don't even care about it. I don't know the name of it. Like you know, I don't think anyone can hand on heart say that those films are 
as good, as good as Spielberg's best. So they've got defenders. Yeah. Sure. I think every crap film has got a defender somewhere, but you he's it's not just a great film because it's Spielberg. It's great for a lot of reasons, and most of the reasons why this film is great is because Spielberg does direct it very, very yeah. well, but yeah. also the performances, all the things we've mentioned about it that that are great, but it's not And I mean it's not just a like a film is not just great by default because it's directed by Spielberg, I think is what I'm getting at. <laughs> and like, it's fascinating for this because you're coming off of a run of like five films where if we exclude 1941, you've got four of the best films Spielberg has ever made, which is Jaws, yeah. Close Encounter of the Third Kind, yeah. Raiders of Lost Ark and, and E.T. And now it feels arrogant and wild to say <laughs> this is almost a creative rut that uh, Spielberg is now in, that none of the films you're covering are bad but temple of doom has its problems right. the color purple has its problems mm-hmm. i love the last crusade but it's not raiders of the lost ark for some people and then you've also got these kind of like oscary films and it feels like we're watching in the back end of the 80s into the 90s spielberg try and transition from being a purely blockbuster director into being a prestige director and it it feels choppy and a bit difficult. And that's why The Colour Purple has these great moments to it, has these beautiful, quiet moments, has an hour and a half to two hours of material in there that if that was the film, it would work, but doesn't pull together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You but I shouldn't there. have the arrogance to say that, oh yeah, Spielberg's in a rut at this point because I mean... <laughs> these are still great films like they're still on paper technical marvels like there's a shot in this yeah yeah oh go ahead yeah there's like a shot in this of the courtyard and it's like from Mm. far away and i and i'm like this is a really beautiful shot of this courtyard and it's just of the courtyard and it's yeah there are these shots in this film the way it looks is beautiful i have to shout out um who is it? Bo Welch, who is the art director, because he is the art director of one of my favorite films, mm. Batman Returns, and also mm. the director of one of my least favorite films, <laughs> The Cat in the Hat. So, um, <laughs> yeah, he is like the creatives are doing great things. It's just it doesn't click for me, and it totally was like, should I be enjoying watching this tale of American African American men abuse African American women for forty years? Mm-hmm. Mm. yeah well <clears throat> there's also this really great shot when um celie is reading the letter from Nettie, and she's walking through town distracted by the reading and a car passes in front of celie and then a truck passes and we're in africa with Nettie writing the letter i mm. really like that a lot like i was just like oh man <laughs> that guy <laughs> that guy can make a movie um and, yeah, <laughs> uh, you know it's it's uh, and also shout out to Alan Davio who was the cinematographer on this. He uh, mm. shot E.T. He shot Spielberg and Joe Dante's uh, Twilight Zone the movie. Um, he shot Empire of the Sun and also Harry and the Hendersons, um, <clears throat> and Van Helsing. Uh, so <laughs> you know, can't win them all. Uh, also, also the score I think is incredible. Oh, it's really good. And it's not John Williams. Quincy Jones. Uh, Yeah. It's really good. And I was surprised as well because I I don't think I've heard this score before. And I listen to quite a lot of film scores. So I was surprised that I hadn't 
heard it before, but hearing it in the in the context of the film, and it it is a like a little schmaltzy in places, but it it's feels like Quincy Jones a, doing a John Williams impression sometimes. Yeah, which right. Is weird, it's but just why it's like overall yeah. really good. <laughs> if someone was like, "This is a John Williams score," I'd be like, "Yeah, mm-hmm. that tracks." Like it's it. It does sound it does sound like that to be honest, but it works. It works for the film. It's uh I mean it, it worked because the bits where the score was telling me that I should cry, uh I sure did. <laughs> so, you know, it's 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 doing what it needs to do in those moments. But yeah, it's the sort of score that I could see myself like putting on and listening to, which obviously I listen to a lot of John Williams scores as well and film scores generally, so it is the sort of one that would work outside of the film as well as in, which I think is normally the the mark of a, a good score. But I I, I want to talk about the shaving scene again. I You've sort of mentioned it again, uh, t- two of, because uh, yeah. there's, uh, it sort of gets revisited later on. And this, this bloody Spielberg, he <laughs> he can make tension out of anything, right? I've never been so nervous watching a man have a shave before uh just the way it's shot is so great yep it's the way that it builds that tension and it's like so close to just being able to end this man's life and doesn't uh and (laughs) the second time even more so because she goes into that second shave with the intention Mm -hmm. of ending his life (laughs) until she is stopped um just incredible filmmaking i just those scenes would are real they're in a in a film that has a lot of standout scenes and standout shots and standout moments that is one that's sort of almost at the top of the list for me i think yeah 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 those are two standout scenes of a master of tension like yeah i mean mm. my favorite film is jurassic park so yeah Mm-hmm. Spielberg knows how to wrap his films in tension, be it a big budget dinosaur shark field roller coaster or a film like this. Like, there's always tension mm. there. It's always been a shame he's never done a straight horror because I think he'd do an amazing straight horror film. Yep. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. you should do an adaptation of Sunni Todd as well because he'd amp up the tension <laughs> even more. <laughs> Um, yeah it did remind me of that i was like in my head singing the like one of the songs from (laughs) sweeney todd it's very like the scene where he is just like yeah (laughs) i know i know sarah and i I were both sweeney todd apologists uh it's a good film it's a good film (laughs) but man the spielberg version of that musical and scary gore shit hell yeah sign me up yeah i think you made an you made an interesting point earlier sarah like obviously we're going to be harder on his films because he made our favorite film of all time, but he made kind of everyone's favorite film of all time. Like, <laughs> like but yeah. I would say the vast majority of people, their favorite film of all time is directed by Steven Spielberg because it's either <laughs> Jaws, Close Encounters, Raiders of the Lost Ark, E.T. Uh, some people say probably Last Crusade uh, or Jurassic Park or Saving Private mm-hmm. Ryan if you're a dad. Like, um, <laughs> they're so many movies he's made that like yeah if someone said that's my favorite film of all time you would be like yeah yeah it is like yeah Yeah. i I cannot argue with that decision (laughs) 
Or even like you know, if you want to expand it further, like involved with like films that, if if not directed, probably produced by. Yeah, yeah. Like man has been involved in pretty much everyone's favorite film, or if not favorite, very very high in their in their list of favorites. It is incredible when you sort of stand back and look at all the films that that he has made, and obviously some that we're very very familiar with, and some that we're coming at for the for the first time but looking at it what i found most interesting about this film is just looking at it in the context of what has come before it in the sense that it's come after all these you know big blockbusters and you said earlier mj like now spielberg is the historical drama guy like that's what he does it's so interesting to sort of watch particularly this period in his career i think when he is sort of doing like little column a little column b and that sometimes works and sometimes doesn't and at this stage it really does feel like he is figuring out how he can be the guy that does both like (laughs) that's what this film feels like a little bit of an experiment but it's not a failed experiment it's not 1941 uh we're gonna continue to shit on that film for the duration i think we've mentioned it on every episode because every film we're like at least it's not 1940 it is astonishingly you're saying i should go and watch it you're saying i should seek out a copy of 1941 for tonight russ i i think i wouldn't I i sure wouldn't recommend it but i think if you ju- if you want to see Spielberg make a bad film, that's it. Yeah. I mean, he's made other bad films as well, but I was... It's grotesquely bad. Yeah. It's yeah. obnoxiously <laughs> bad. <laughs> Embarrassingly bad. Like, I was shocked by how awful it was. Yeah. <laughs> how awful it was and how much we hated it. It was very fun to talk about. And, you know, we we spoke about it on on that episode it's like that was spielberg at a time when he no one was telling him no no one was saying you know what steve don't do that so he thought he could make whatever the hell he wanted and he did and it does not work yeah, it's, it's definitely <laughs> so, that zoidberg meme where it's like your movie's bad and you should feel bad <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and and but he needed to. I think he needed to make that film to mm. be the Spielberg that comes after. I think if he had just, if he, you know, if it had, in some alternate timeline, been a success, he would have made one that wouldn't have been eventually. I mean, it it flopped, so I think it made him realize, okay, <laughs> maybe don't do that, uh, and sort of went down a very different path. But yeah, it's uh at all stages in this journey it's just interesting i think to think about the whole spielberg timeline like what comes before what comes after and we're gonna i mean yeah be interesting to when we talk about empire of the sun which i think is next week um how different that is is to this obviously a very very different kind of film but still that sort of serious you know prestige historical drama film whether there's still those Spielbergy things in it, or if he reigns it in a little more, I'll be interested to find out because I have not seen that film yet. Yep. So, <laughs> got a very, 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 very tiny Christian Bale. <laughs> <laughs> As in, uh, he's a child, yes. or yes, he is a child. Okay, <laughs> he didn't miniaturize him. No, no he's a child. Okay, he's the main great. character. 
You didn't know that? Okay. Nope, I am now 100% more invested because I really like Krishna Bale. So, good times. Uh, Do you guys Uh... have anything else? Uh, I don't. I think I've said all the things I need to say. I liked this film for the most part. I don't know if I would ever be like, you know what I'm in the mood to watch? The Colour Purple. (laughs) Um, But I did enjoy the performances in it a great deal and the way it portrays female friendships and female relationships i think is you don't see that done as well as this very often and i think it's good to see especially from a male director as well yeah. like it is actually quite uh refreshing to see that handled as well as it is um even if i still have some issues with the film as a whole but yeah i didn't hate watching it it's not my least favorite spielberg film pretty good pretty pretty good movie <laughs> Yeah, it's not my least favorite Spielberg. It's fascinating to see it as part of his kind of career. So, like, obviously, when you come to Spielberg, you come for his blockbusters initially, and then you'll be introduced to him as a serious uh, Oscar-y director. But it won't be with this. And so I came with that awareness that he has in his repertoire the ability to do a Schindler's List or a Munich or Mm -hmm. a Bridge of Spies. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, the stuff that works really works here. The stuff that doesn't, doesn't, and I, I can't, <laughs> I just, I couldn't quite wrap my head around the tone of this film. Everything else kind of clicks me, but the tone doesn't. And I'm a bit like, mm. well, this is a choice. Yeah, I wouldn't have made this <laughs> choice, but you are Steven Spielberg. You have made this choice. Um, yeah, so I, like, I'm, I'm really happy I came on this podcast to talk about a film I hadn't watched before because it's entirely mm. fascinating to come to like creatives like Spielberg or Scorsese and mm. fill in the gaps like there are these amazing directors from the 70s and 80s and there are still films of theirs I've not watched like mm. I've never finished The Godfather Part 2 so at some point I need mm. to do that so being able to come on and chat about Spielberg and also kind of it's kind of nice it's quite humbling to watch a Spielberg that doesn't entirely work I'm not saying I'm now going yeah. to go and spend mm. my evening watching 1941 <laughs> It's that <laughs> it makes him more human because he can be a bit mm. almost ethereal by now that he's made these films that are so iconic, that are so part of our culture. And to watch one of his films that works in parts but doesn't work and you can kind of understand why it was... I mean, this was commercially successful, but why it wasn't... It didn't win any Oscars. I can understand that because I think things like the two of the three acts nominated being their first performance being this film that will obviously play into it i can see why it wouldn't win for like if it was up for director or writer i can see why someone else would win because Mm. there are flaws in the writing there are flaws in the directing as much as i'm happy that spielberg is not scoring director i'm glad it wasn't for this yeah yeah yeah, I, that's a that's a good point, right? It's sort of I, I think we talked about this on a, a recent episode, uh, or maybe I was just berating <laughs> Sarah about this off mic. But uh, it's it's like it's like the it's like watching the Beatles get back documentary, where like it really humanizes those four lads. Where like you uh you uh you watch it and you're like, oh, they had nothing. Like their entire creative process was like, we're gonna dick around until we have something. Um, it's just that. <laughs> 
it so happens that when they have something, it's Let It Be or Dig a Pony. Like, it's just like some of the best pop yeah. songs ever written. But like, they had to really like struggle to pull it out of there. And it's like, okay, at least this didn't come easy to them the way we, I think it, we can all kind of uh, uh, idolize them into thinking of like, oh, they were just doing this left and right. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think it's, it's watching a, a quote lesser film from these iconic directors has the same uh, feeling behind it where it's like, oh, they had to figure stuff out. Like they weren't just like, mm -hmm. like they were preternaturally gifted at this thing, but they also still had to like struggle and like make decisions and see what worked and learn from the last thing that they made. And, uh, you know, go back to the drawing board on some stuff and then figure out how to do like, the, for example, here, the historical drama that we know as, Schindler's List, Munich, Saving Private Ryan, etc. From there, mm -hmm. yeah, um, yeah. It's I think it's encouraging when you can see that a great director isn't always great yeah. <laughs> in a weird way. Yeah. It's like okay, they are human. <laughs> That's good to know. Makes me feel better about myself. Yep. Also, <laughs> Back to the Future has more Oscars than The Color Purple. Um, <laughs> that is very funny. <laughs> yes. Does Norbert or have more Oscars episode. than The Color Purple? Uh, Did Norbert win? I don't, think, I don't think Norbert won. It is the Academy Award nominated Norbert, however. <laughs> <laughs> Although Suicide Squad has more Oscars yes, than The Color Purple. The Academy so... Award winning Suicide Squad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love those dumb facts. Yeah. Like, or when it's like, this amazing director also made this absolutely terrible monstrosity. Like when you when you mentioned the cat in the hat earlier, yeah, yeah. <laughs> really tickled, really tickled me. I yeah. very much enjoy nonsense facts like that. <laughs> One of my favorite Oscars jokes of all time is when Three Six Mafia won Best Original Song for Hard Out Here for a Pimp from Hustle and Flow, and uh, John Stewart gets on stage the, immediately after they win, and he goes, "If you're keeping score at home, Three Six Mafia has more Oscars than Martin Scorsese." <laughs> oh <laughs> the crazy the crazy world of the oscars yeah. that that can be true yeah. that was the night that was the night scorsese won for the departed though but it was still just like what amazing like so now yeah so now martin scorsese has as many oscars as three six mafia <laughs> <laughs> i oh god that's a whole other another podcast for another time about how school says he only has one oscar yeah man yeah um so we uh we did put a tweet out it was kind of late but we did get one response uh from at foxy snob on twitter who says i don't think i have ever seen it embarrassed face emoji so uh thanks for that foxy snob um it really made us laugh yep. so uh so yeah uh you yeah i think if you're interested in it you should see it it's not it's not a bad film um it's just not uh it's not an all-timer but they can't all be you know schindler's list um <laughs> yeah and then shout out to our patreons uh or our patrons on patreon i should say um jack cameron callum griff mike katie rachel andrew blake chris carrie the Uncut Gems podcast and uh, our most recent patron, Eric. Um, thank you guys for, for supporting us on there. Yes. And thank you so much, uh, Russell, for joining us. Um, it's been great to have you on and thank you for taking the 
making this film because no one volunteered uh, to talk about The Colour Purple because apparently no one's seen it. Um, so very grateful that you wanted to, <laughs> to come on and talk to us. Um, but yeah, if you want to let people know where they can find you and uh, plug your fantastic podcast as well, then now is your chance. Fabulous. Yeah, so I have... Um... As with many people, a lockdown podcast that has endured. I have, it's called hey. Not Just for Kids. I cover um, family films and the films I grew up with, which allows me to cheat and cover things like Terminator 2 and South Park the movie. <laughs> and so, yeah, I um, every week put out an episode on a different film or two films with a guest who comes on and we chat about the films. Uh, each series is a different subject. We've got a Spielberg series. I think that was my second series. And so I covered him from Jaws Jurassic Park, including the films he produced. So there's Back to the Future episodes. Uh, it stayed rigidly within the blockbuster realms. So there wasn't The Colour Purple or Always or Empire of the Sun. <laughs> or in fact, 1941, which I'm tempted to go off and watch, but I'll have to be a bit <laughs> drunk for that. Um, Good luck and in Yardspeed yeah, is do. all I have to say about that. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Godspeed and get some beers in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and our current series is all about modern animation because there's 20 years of animation that's been incredible that I've yet to cover. So I've done episodes on Chicken Run, How to Train Your Dragon, um, Great trying movie. To think what Into the Spider-Verse was the last one I put out at the time of recording. Yeah. And my next episode is on the first three Wallace and Gromit shorts, which mm. I guess might be out by the time this goes out. But yeah, that'll be a really fun episode. I've recorded that chat. It's a lot of fun for free short films that mean the world to me yeah nice i'm a i'm a just speak for us both and say we would love to come on if, if absolutely you i will uh, message uh, you what i've got available for the series yeah yes yeah. Uh, you, you said animation and my little ears pricked up and was like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i'm ready <laughs> are you um, um are you doing any of the cartoon saloon stuff uh we are i will see i think i might have wolfwalkers available i'll have a look Ooh. um yeah, Cartoon Saloon are phenomenal. Wolfwalkers yep. is like one of my so good. Uh, like, I have this thing on it where I'm asking people for their like four Mount Rushmore modern animations, and I think Wolfwalkers on my mountain because I think it's just that good. Like, I think it's that's, uh, a it's so masterpiece. That a blind spot for me. I haven't. That's one of the ones I have. Oh. Well, it's, it's, it's an Apple TV release, <laughs> so like you've yeah, got to yeah. be like one of the ten people in the world who has Apple TV legally yeah. and. Uh, doesn't torrent <laughs> Ted Lasso. Not that I'm recommending that. Yeah, I have Apple TV through my parents. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's Wolfwalkers is so good, MJ. You, you find a way. You, you've got to watch it. But yeah, oh, we would, I, I would love to go. <laughs> I've only seen one Cartoon Saloon movie, and it's The Breadwinner. <laughs> oh my, so you've got to watch. They're like, they've got a trio of Irish folklore. Yes. Retelling. Yeah, Song of the Sea. And oh, oh. what's the other one? Uh, Secret of Kells. Secret and of Kells. Yeah. my daughter really likes Secret of Kells, which I'm always surprised by because it's about a community being destroyed by um, an invading force at the end. And I'm like, this is quite a dark film, but she really, really <laughs> takes to it. Huh. Yeah, their films are fantastic. I think they're. At time of recording, their new one comes out like this uh, week or next My week. My Father's on Dragon, I think yeah. it's called. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. It comes out the same oh. day this episode comes out. Amazing. Okay. <laughs> well, I will be watching that uh, while everyone is listening to this episode. Um, but yeah, thank you. Yeah, we'll uh, come on anytime. Any any podcast that wants <laughs> two willing guests, uh, 
you got him you got him right here mm-hmm. um great uh mj do you have anything that you would like to plug uh yeah real perspective um it's my other podcast we forgot to do an episode last week like straight <laughs> up it hit friday and i was like i didn't have a podcast come oh shit um because we did a spooky times bonus episode uh on the 29th of october we released like a real perspective and a an lj fam on the same day it just didn't click with me that like oh you're supposed to have another one of these (laughs) um so yeah the most recent episode is uh our spooky times episode about drag me to hell uh which is one of my favorite horror films of all time it is my favorite horror film of all time actually um so i got to talk about that (laughs) And then our next episode is going to be about my third favorite film of the year so far, Weird, the Al Yankovic story starring Daniel Radcliffe and <laughs> anyone who's ever been funny as long as they're a white guy. Um, but yeah, uh, I loved it. Spoilers. So you can hear us talk about that uh, next week. Mm. I, I'm so glad that you loved it. I don't know if I'd want to live in a world where you didn't love it because I know how much you yeah, love um, So I full on cried at the end. Um, Amazing. Which didn't I didn't expect, but I just like it just like put into perspective like what a presence like Weird Al has been in my life and how like yeah, how much yeah. I've like kind of actually followed him in his, as 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 like a weird role model for my life. Um, yeah. Just like hey, be yourself and like make people happy and don't be an a hole basically um Mm. and so i just was like oh yeah this guy actually like really means a lot to me and it's so dumb because there's not a single serious moment in that movie and Mm -hmm. it it still like really got to me i i can weirdly relate to that because i i had that at the i cried at the end of the disaster artist i don't know if (laughs) anyone has at the end of that film before uh this is a safe space it's just me and you here right Mm -hmm. i can admit this uh like i unabashedly love the room Mm -hmm. like it's i know it's terrible i know it is a terrible movie but i have seen it so many times and it is just a thing that i go to i go to the screenings and i take people with me all the time it's like if you want to be friends with sarah you have to come to a screening of the room at some point it's just like a rite of passage and I'd read the book. I met <laughs> Greg and Tommy a bunch of times mm-hmm. as well. I watched it in the cinema that I normally go to my screenings of of the room at the Prince Charles in London, which is an amazing independent cinema. And I've been to, I mean, double figures numbers of room screenings at that cinema by the time I saw, I saw this film. So I was like watching a film about this thing that I love so much. I couldn't even, I just couldn't believe that I was, I was watching it. And then it's, I was watching it in the cinema that I had all those amazing memories in. So I, <laughs> I cried. I sobbed you, at the end of it. I was just like, I love it so You know much. what? I actually got, uh, movies about people making movies make me really emotional too. So I didn't full yeah. on cry at the end of Disaster Artist, but I got really emotional because most of those movies, the three movies that come to mind, that really like got me emotional at the end are Ed Wood, the disaster artist and Dolomite is my name because it's about these weird outsider people who were basically told they couldn't do something and then did it anyway. And that's how I feel a lot about like podcasting weirdly enough. Like it's just Mm -hmm. like me and my friends making weird shit that I don't care if anyone 
listens to necessarily like i really don't concern myself with the numbers about any of this stuff that said we're a couple weeks away from finding our end of the year numbers and i'm very excited um (laughs) but uh it, it just like it just this 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 desire and this need to like get this out of your brain like I really connect mm, with uh-huh. in like I really connect with the idea of like people telling you like you shouldn't or you can't doing that and then like basically giving them a middle finger and making it happen anyway. Um mm. so mm-hmm. yeah, I totally get that. I got the one that did the biggest number on me was Dolomite is my name. I just got really emotional yeah. at the end of that movie. Like <laughs> I think it's because it came out during lockdown, so I had started like Real P yeah. and LJ Fam at yeah. that point and I was like, that's sort of what we do. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> make weird stuff yeah. and some people enjoy it and that's really nice. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. I, I have similar feelings, but yeah, it was what, probably one of the best like cinematic experiences I've ever had because obviously yeah. like the audience who were there watching it were people like me as well that go to that specific cinema to watch this yeah. terrible, dumb film. So I was like with my people and it was just a... I don't know if anyone else cried, but uh, glad that there is no judgment in this space yeah. for crying at the end of that film. I, um, and I am not surprised to hear that Weird Al had that <laughs> effect on yeah. you at all. It, it makes all the sense. Yeah. I saw The Disaster Artist in uh, theaters with uh, me and uh, Kristen and an elderly couple who was clearly there to watch everything that was nominated for Oscars. Um, <laughs> and I don't know if they got it, at all but they stayed the whole time mm-hmm. because my favorite thing to do is go see like oscar nominated movies and count how many old people walk out the record is her which got six walkouts two at the very beginning oh my, oh my gosh <laughs> wow yeah. I, mean, I mean missing out because that film is great yeah, they but... couldn't handle the dead cat phone sex thing at the beginning they were like nope we're good oh done. sure we're done and then the robot yeah. the the siri phone sex scene there four other people were like nope we're good and sure did. okay yeah <laughs> yeah i guess there's some weird stuff in that movie even though it is uh great but <laughs> um i side note uh before we wrap things up i very much enjoyed your uh one and only letterbox review which was for weird out which is like if you don't like this film you don't like me yeah it's, 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 my, my whole review is just says uh i gave it five stars and i said uh a live action muppet movie i'm not even done with it yet a billion stars if you don't like this movie you don't like me <laughs> I really, really laughed very hard when I saw when I saw that. Uh, I don't know when it comes out here, but I'm very keen to see it. I don't think we have the streaming thing that it's on, so I can't even watch it at home. Uh, did you see Weird Al's tweet about it? Ew, someone, no, I didn't. someone said, um, <laughs> he said, uh, oh gosh, I sent it to Mike. Uh, let's see. Come on. Oh, someone said, how do I watch it in Australia? And Al said, Roku is working on it. In the meantime, there's VPN, parentheses, very probably no way to watch it legally. <laughs> I'm sure you have a torrent of other questions, but I have to move <laughs> along. Sorry. That's very funny. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I will find a way. Uh, beg, be, beg, steal, or borrow. I will yep. find a way. To well, watch you have permission from the man himself to steal. So <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Al. I'll uh, <laughs> I'll get on I'll get on that. Um 
that was a, a, a long way of deviating from the fact that I've got nothing to plug. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> but watch uh, the Disaster Artist because it's really good. Uh, yeah. uh, I would say watch the Room, but uh, you know you yeah. can if you want. <laughs> Are we going to be on Movie Robcast before we talk again? Before this comes out. Good question. Or before the I don't... next one comes out. Mm, possibly. I get. Yeah, I can mention that. So we are going to be. Uh, haven't recorded yet, but we'll be on Movie Robcast uh, talking about Piranha Two. <laughs> we had to reschedule it. Very excited to talk about that. I haven't watched it yet, but boy, am I excited uh, to watch a terrible film. Yep. Uh, they're doing a James Cameron series. Is that right? Uh, yes. So yeah, we jumped at the chance to to be on that episode. Much so, like yeah, the fish uh, in when... the film Piranha Two. <laughs> when that is out, we will will share it, retweet it, and in the meantime, check out Movie Robcast. They're uh, they're pretty good, pretty good dudes. Yep. Um, right, I think I think that's everything. Uh, you can get in touch uh, with us on Twitter and Instagram. We are at Jaws for a minute. You can email us Jaws for a minute at gmail as well. Uh, and follow us individually on Twitter. I am at Sarah Buttery and MJ is at MJSmith891. On our socials, you'll find our link tree that's got all of the links you could ever need in life uh, to buy merchandise through Tee Public or Redbubble. Uh, Redbubble, a lot of sales on at the moment, I guess, in the lead up to Black Friday, mm. that kind of thing. Um, so a great time to buy some LJ Fam merch uh, for you or your loved ones uh, at Christmas with little to no explanation. Um, there was some really, it was like 60% off stuff the other day and I was like, nah, I should probably buy some more stuff <laughs> for myself as well. Um, but yeah, have a look at that before you before you purchase and, and save yourself some, some coins and buy some more merch. Uh, you can also get our uh, theme song through uh, Bandcamp uh, that's on our link tree. You've got a uh, links to make a one-off donation as well through our coffee page, or to subscribe for regular bonus content through our Patreon. Uh, we mentioned earlier some Spielberg-produced films. That's we're going to be looking at a couple. Uh, if you want me, want to hear me talk about Poltergeist, <laughs> you've got to subscribe to. Our, our I'm so Patreon. excited. Uh, Oh god, I've never been less excited about something. Your your level of excitement for watching the color purple is my level of excitement <laughs> for watching Poltergeist. <laughs> I like I keep seeing it like it's on a streaming service as well. Oh, Martin the other day was like, "Oh, Poltergeist." And I was like, "No." <laughs> it just came out on 4K, me. so I was like, "I know I'm just getting the Spielberg directed stuff, but I might I might pick up the 4K for uh, Ah, for yeah, you got to you got to you got to treat yourself. Yeah. So, yeah, the 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 patrons have spoken and demanded that i watch uh poltergeist uh and back to the future i think is our other one yep. as well so we'll um have a great time talking about some spielberg produced films there's loads of other um great bonus content on our patreon as well including interviews with some of the behind the scenes creative lj fan people the if you want to hear the origin story of our theme song uh and a really interesting creative chat uh with uh, with Kristen and with Alex who did our logo as well um, we had a really great time talking to them so are they I don't know if that episode is up yet it but will probably, if you're a patron you'll know it will probably be up um, just after Thanksgiving because that is when I will have time to edit that monster of an episode yeah, yeah <laughs> quite the quite the beast uh, but yeah that will patron subscribers you'll you'll get that notification of that when that's up 
um, but time to sign up in the meantime so you can get notifications of all this great bonus content um, you can as well obviously support the show at no extra cost uh, you can rate review subscribe on your podcatcher of choice um, we really appreciate that and it helps more people find the show as well uh shout out to the countries of germany and japan because we appeared in their their charts recently really my favorite thing is to find out what countries random podcast charts we're in so um yeah thank you to the people listening in those countries kind of wild to think that people listen to us uh being weird and talking about movies but we appreciate everyone who does um so yeah until next time it's jaws o'clock somewhere